As I peruse the latest struggles against oppression and toxic masculinity, I find the story of a young Canadian boy, celebrated in the media whose alter ego is that of a drag queen named Lactatia. I grimly smile at the fact that no matter how much makeup and glam that this young lad applies to himself, he's about as likely to lactate as he is to struggle through menopause. But, as a caring and just society, we will all pretend and go along with any sort of delusion a person might have. And if not, via government fiat, you might find yourself the winner of a nice custodial sentence for having a grasp on reality. A reality that is increasingly under attack. Canada, the land of my youth, a country that is to me and many like me becoming alien and unrecognizable. It's a country that we're told is racked with systemic racism, but is charging ahead at breakneck speed to demographically replace its citizenry and with it the Western character of its culture. In fact, the sitting Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, has said that the country, founded with the deep roots that go all the way back to the Magna Carta, has no core identity or mainstream, and for this reason, he has said that Canada is the first post-national country. But wait, who gave this former substitute junior high school drama teacher the permission to unilaterally dictate to a country of 30 plus million people that their identity no longer exists. Not one mainstream media outlet stopped to ask by what right could Trudeau decide that Canada had no core identity and why he thought he was entitled to allow its carefully constructed and unique society to be hollowed out and left to rot for his own personal agenda. He claims to have undertaken this post-national project on behalf of all Canadians, but no Canadian I know agrees with him on this. Aiding Trudeau's suicidal desires to transform Canada into a borderless, ghettoized, and completely unrecognizable country, he uses the oft-platitudes and recycled phrases like, diversity is our strength. The absolute stupidity of this statement is glaring, but the fact that it is parroted unquestionably in the halls of academia and by the media is what makes it so dangerous, more so because a large portion of Canadians regurgitate this mental diarrhea without even considering what it really means. The absolute state of Canada, a nation where its Supreme Court has recently ruled that bestiality is legal and that most sex acts performed on animals is part of our rights as citizens of the Great White North. As Canada descends into a frenzy of degeneracy and national suicide stewarded by a clown elected by female voters that swoon over his luxurious hair, the reality of the 11th of November slaps me squarely in the face. This was my grandfather. He, like many of our grandfathers, served in the Second World War and fought for their countries on both sides. He was a flight lieutenant and served two tours with 50 missions flown. It was a dangerous job with a very high mortality rate and he himself was forced to ditch his aeroplane over the English Channel on one occasion. I think of him and those of his generation and how they might look upon the state of the lands that they fought to preserve and protect. 
I started to read articles on this and story after story of the dwindling veterans of that war suggest that they are in utter dismay and anguish at what their countries have become. They despise what has become of Britain. Like my grandfather, they once fought to save. In the words of one, it's not our country anymore, they say in sorrow and anger. One of their members harks back to the days when people kept the laws and were polite and courteous. They said we didn't have much money, but we were content and happy. There was still the United Kingdom, our country, which we had fought for, our freedom, democracy. But where is it now? Nicholas Pringle, a Tyneside writer, decided three years ago to send letters to local newspapers across the country asking for those that had lived through the war to write him about their experiences. He rounded off his request with the question, are you happy with how the country has turned out? What do you think your fallen comrades would have made of life in 21st century Britain? What is extraordinary about the 150 replies he received, which he has now published as a book, is their vehement insistence that those that made the ultimate sacrifice in the war would now be turning in their graves. Whether rightly or wrongly, my own grandfather fought for Britain and the Commonwealth, and he too, I am sure, is turning over in his grave, at not only the state of the UK, but also of Canada. In all honesty, I look at Canada now the way one looks at a loved one with terminal illness. Remembrance Day for me is nothing more than a funeral procession, attended by those that have ties to and remember the once great, but now hopelessly, terminal edifice that was Canada. And while my grandfather is gone, I will be his voice and the voice of his comrades on this day, the 11th of November, and decry those like the repugnant Justin Trudeau that foul the legacy of all of the men that sacrificed for a country that no longer exists. But take heart, it is always darkest before the dawn, and if sanity is something that we humans can share, something new will spring up in place of the diseased body politic currently running the west off a cliff. But in order to correct course, one has to be aware of the rocks.